John chapter 7. So as you're turning here, hey, anybody realize that the holiday season has kind of started? You know, when you walk through Cracker Barrel in September or early October and the Christmas trees are up, you know it started, right? <clears throat> yeah, I saw the Halloween stuff up in Cracker Maybe, maybe you think poor Cliff eats at Cracker Barrel. I know that's kind of sad. But, uh, you know, uh, Halloween stuff was up in July. But uh, we're kind of in the holiday season. And yet, uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, we're sort of in the holiday season, if you will, from some of the great festivals and great celebrations in Judaism. Anybody know what uh, yesterday or Friday was? Yom Kippur. Boy, y'all are smart. I'm telling you. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Becky and I were driving past, coming back from the donut shop Saturday morning. That's our religious uh, pilgrimage uh, every uh, weekend. And we're going by the Shabbat Center on uh, uh, Hefner there, and it was pretty well busy early in the morning. And so we're kind of uh, in the holiday season. Uh, In John chapter 7, we're going to pick up on a holiday that actually, uh, just if you want to know this or not, that is called the Festival of Booths, or Sukkoth, that it will be October 9 and 10. It's this coming week. And uh, it's a few days after Yom Kippur. Uh, It's uh, after the Day of Atonement celebration, which uh, Yom Kippur is is really probably the most serious uh, in the sense that there's fasting, and it's a pretty serious day. Uh, followed by uh, the Festival of Booths. It's really a, a, like a week-long celebration of eating and uh, uh, food and bringing in the harvest. Uh, in that particular celebration is part of what's going on in John chapter 7 we'll look at. And uh, <clears throat> I just thought, well, I'd give you a little look here on this conversation with Jesus, this conversation with Jesus around this holiday uh, that he has some interesting uh, thoughts and things to say to people uh, during this holiday of, uh, of, of booths. Now, let me just give you a little background. This uh, holiday celebrates or re- remembers when the children of Israel were in the desert for 40 years. And they lived in booths or tents or little, uh, little things that they lived in to get out from under the sun. And uh, <clears throat> this uh, celebration reminds them again of their wanderings and how God provided for them and how He had managed to take care of them in this uh, very uh, tough uh, environment. In fact, uh, here's a picture off the Jerusalem Post uh, today, or it was yesterday, uh, of people uh, beginning to uh, get these branches and things together because they're going to make a little booth or a little house thing in their backyard. They'll spend time in there eating and they'll spend time in there sitting around. Uh, they may sleep in that little booth or that little area. This was one of the commandments out of the Old Testament to, to remember, to recall, to have this a period of time. And this is what some of them might look like. I told Becky, we have a pergola like that in our backyard. We're building a booth this week. Yeah. I need her to mow around it a little bit to make sure, you know. But we're going to build a booth. We're going to, because we've already got some vines and stuff across the top of it. We're going to put a couple of sheets. If you, if you see the police in my neighborhood, you, you, you know why. <clears throat> uh, but this is what it would look like. Something that is just sort of a, 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 something to uh, put branches and stuff like this over. And, and uh, you'd be in there and you'd, you'd remember, you'd recall uh, what all that God had done. How he'd provided. And, and this is kind of a holiday season right now. I, I did see this on the internet. I, I'm guessing it's true. I don't think it's Photoshop, but... But this is how extreme it can get. Uh, <clears throat> this is a mobile uh, booth. <clears throat> I guess, you know, if you want to bar it for a few minutes, you can uh, go there and, and have somebody uh, help you out. But, 
But this is a pretty big time in, in Israel right now and among people that are uh, celebrating these days. And so uh, I just want to kind of give you some context here because in verse 1 of chapter 7, these words recorded. Now, after these things, when Jesus had been out in Galilee, uh, in Judea, he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths was near. Therefore, his brothers said to him, leave here, as, as, well, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he, when he himself seeks to be known. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And his brothers, in, in one sense, are sort of goading him a little bit. Saying, you know, if, you, if you're going to be who you say you are and you're going to do what you say, go on. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Isn't that fascinating? So Jesus said to them, my time is not yet, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I tell, or I testify to it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourself. I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet been fulfilled. Having said these things, then he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also then went up later, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? They're, they're kind of on the lookout for him. There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no. On the, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished, saying, how then has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answering him said that my teaching is not of me, but it is of him who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, in this event, uh, in this conversation with his, Jesus with his brothers and with the Pharisees, I see a few things I'd just like for us to look at and think about. Number one, by whose timing will you live? Now, in verses uh, 3 to 6, well, I've already read them there, you can see, there is a question or an issue here as Jesus has this conversation uh, with his brothers about the matter of timing, of whose time. Uh, uh, when will you determine when you're going to go up there, Jesus. It's interesting, his brothers seem to be goading him a bit, and I wonder, I'm just trying to think in context, in chapter 6, because of what he's done, the Bible tells us that many of his disciples did what? Left. John 6, 66. Many of his disciples or followers left. And we saw last week when he turned to the 12 and said, are you going to go too? <clears throat> you know, uh, that, that his brothers seem to be, it tells us they don't believe in him, but in not even believing in Him, they're kind of goading Him. They're trying to say, why don't you go and, and show yourself? Why don't, why don't you decide and show something big here? They say nobody who wants to be known, and of course that seeks to be known, verse 4, does things pub, or always does things publicly. That gives you a little insight into their mind and into Jesus. Jesus isn't just trying to start some circus here. He's not just trying to start some big movement here. Jesus is trying to be faithful to His Father. And so the matter of timing... 
The matter of by what or by whose timing will you live? Who, who's got the clock? Who's, who's got the calendar in your life or in my life? When I think of timing, I, I remember many years ago, I was trying to think back. I think it was about 18 or 19 years ago. I had a friend of mine who was a, a, an investor, and he, he had a, a started his own business with Prudential, and he kept coming to me and said, Cliff, um, I, I'd like to talk to you about, you know, putting some money in for your retirement and, you know, different things like that. And, and I, I said, oh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you, Don. And, and so we did for a little bit. And uh, I'll never forget what I said to him. Uh, and I, when I look back, I, I want to make sure I got the numbers right. This was in the <clears throat> probably about 1995, maybe 96. And uh, he's telling me, <clears throat> you know, we need to get in the stock market. We need, to, we need to get this money in here, get it working. And I said to him, I said, you know, I think I'm going to wait a while. I, I, I think there's going to be a correction in the market. When I said that about that time, the market was at 37.15. <laughs> when I finally got around <clears throat> to making some big investments where I'd save some money, I'm, I'm also ashamed to say the market was at 15,000. <laughs> How about that for timing, huh? Right? Then they always tell you, don't try to time the market. Don't try to think you can figure this thing out or you can get smart enough or, or you know all the data and information. Yeah, I'll never forget that when I said, I think there's going to be a correction. I need to time this a little better. Didn't work exactly that way. How about you and your timing in life? Look what Jesus said. My time is not yet. Notice here what he says to his brothers in this conversation. The dialogue with his brothers shows a very important truth about life, about timing. We all struggle with that matter, don't we, about how we're going to live and how we're going to do things and when are we going to do it. Jesus is saying, my time is not yet. Jesus has a clear understanding, if you will, of how he's to live his life at the direction and the guidance of his Father. And he will not be, if you will, manipulated by circumstances. He won't be manipulated by other people's expectations. That never happens to us, right? We, we never do things because people expect it, right? Stanton? There's a seeming contradiction between I'm going to get to that. Okay. Yeah, 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 I'm going yeah, to get to that. That Schleimacher and all kinds of people have all jumped on top. This is the word that Jesus says, I'm not going to go up, and then he goes up. Okay? Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that here in a moment. I promise. I think. <laughs> Uh, anticipation is what I'm always working on. Uh, <clears throat> but, but this idea about timing, about timing. When I think in my own life, I think about do I tend to have a clear understanding or am I willing to say that what I'm doing and how I'm living is going to be dis- determined by some timing that I understand that is from God. I'm not, I'm not talking about indifference here. I, I wrote in my notes, I don't think Jesus is saying here, live a life of indifference and inaction. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that. I don't think Jesus suggests that. What I am saying is that Jesus lived a life of dependence upon his Father to the extent that Jesus' default setting wasn't, well, that looks like a good thing to do, right? Well, that looks like something I could do, or that looks like something I ought to do. Jesus' default setting was to not act first and then hope things worked out. It was to wait or to understand God's control and then act. I don't know about you, but I often will make plans and I say, no, Lord, I'm asking you to bless it. Right? You ever done that? Yeah, I'm learning that I ought to ask, okay, what are you doing? (laughs) I'll get involved in that because I know you'll bless that. (laughs) Right? Instead of telling God what to bless and what to do, 
is my life timed according to asking that kind of question? I think Jesus, again, is attempting to help us to understand that He doesn't live by pressure, circumstances, expectations, or oughts. His life is lived out of an awareness that I'm going to live my life as best I understand, of course, He understands perfectly, what this would be according to the will of God. I say to my students, maybe this will help. I say to my students, it's not that you'll always have an answer. You know, there are times when I've prayed about a car. I still am. I think God is just driving me crazy. With um, you know, I pray about a car, and I, don't, I mean, I don't get a word or an answer or something like that. But I think God is honored whenever we are making decisions, when we're trying to figure out life, if we go to Him first. Right? We go to Him first. We, we say, Lord, my life is by Your timing. By your timing, by the way you're directing my life. That's the way I want to live. I want to live in such a way that my first default response is what is God's will here? Now, many of the things that we deal in life, you know, I don't, I don't pray when I go to the cafeteria, you know, should I eat this or should I eat that? Often the answer is don't eat any of it. <laughs> but that's a cheap cafeteria joke. Isn't it? I'm not talking about, you know, am I going to go to work today? You know, am I going to go to work today? I mean, the Scripture's pretty clear. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know, that, that's, what, that's what it says. I'm not talking about where the Scripture is, is just plainly clear. We're, we're going to get to that later. But where in these questions of life that I don't just live out of my own idea or impression. My view is that Jesus here is helping us to enter the struggle that is our life under the control of our Father? Where our questions or our, our decision-making process is, what would God want me to do here? I've made a lot of mistakes, haven't you, by living on the timing of people's expectations. You ever had that happen to you? I, 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 I have a spiritual discipline now. When people come, sometimes they'll call. You know, they don't know me very well. And I'll say, would you come speak somewhere? And I'll say, uh, well, I need uh, 24 hours to answer that. Because my insides of me want to say yes, because they've asked me and I want to please them. And I, and I have a hard time at times not living by other people's expectations. And so as a spiritual discipline, I say you have to give me 24 hours before I'm going to answer that question. Before I'm going to look at my calendar. I'm going to get permission from Becky. I'm going to, you know, because, hey, it affects her. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to respond. And I've had him say, well, I need an answer right now. I said, oh, you need an answer right now? Yeah. No. <laughs> That's it. That's the answer. Well, no, no. I said, then you got to give me 20. But I, hey, this is the drill, okay? Because I know me and I know how I operate pleasing people and meeting expectations that may or may not really be the timing for God in my life. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that happens to you, doesn't it? Expectations. Pressure. Sometimes I feel pressure. I, I, I've told Becky, I, I'm not a good decision maker because when I feel pressure, I kind of want to go in and say, now, Lord, I, I need help here. I really do. We were looking at this card the other day, and I, I don't know if this guy knew how to take me, and he said, now, Mr. Sanders, and I'm not, no, no disrespect to car owners, dealers, salesmen in here, okay? I don't know. No disrespect. But he said, Mr. Sanders, uh, what is it going to take me to get you in this car today? And I said, well, if you gave it to me, I'd take it. And they, they don't like that. <laughs> and, and then he says, 
well, what, what's stopping you from making this decision right now? And I said, time. That's what's stopping me. Because I'm not going to respond to pressure. I'm not going to, any more than expectation or pressure. I'm not going to live my life on the pressure of somebody says, I have to make a decision right now. Or that I've got to do something. That that, that kind of idea of pressurizing or the circumstances. There are times I think when we just need to say, you know what, God, I, I need to just stop here for a minute. And before I make this decision, I need to make sure, is this your timing? And that's not easy. I wish the Christian life was always easy. But it's not. And there have been many times when I've had to stop and say, I just don't know. Does that shock you? Don't, don't you have times like that? Here's the thing, though. It's honoring to God, in my judgment, to at least be willing to ask the question, is this the right time? Is this what you want me to do? Jesus said, your time is always, notice what he says, you can do this anyway. My time is not yet. Your time is always opportune. I think Jesus is saying something. I think, I think he's saying, if, you don't, if you're not concerned about the Father, if you're not concerned about God's timing, do whatever you want to. Whatever. It's no big deal. That, that just, you know, you can kind of run and blow and go as you please. Jesus says to his brothers, you, your, your time is opportune. You can do anything, anytime, because you're not one who's living their life under the order or the direction of God. It's a struggle for me. I'm a doer, I like to act. I'm not suggesting that we're just not waiting to act. That we're, not, we're just going to wait to act and never do anything. But the timing issue. I, I was thinking about this this morning at the last. I just wrote this inside of my notes. In the Old Testament, there's a, there's a story about Abraham and Sarah who God had told them that they would have a child, but it took a long time. A long time. And as a consequence, in that waiting, on God's time, they did something. They decided that they wouldn't wait any longer. That they thought, well, it must be that God wants us to help Him out. And, you know, I can see that, can't you? I mean, I, I can sit there and say, well, you know, Sarah, we were told this 27 years ago, and, and you know, we've done all we can do, and uh, maybe there's something else we can do. I mean, that's the way my mind would work. I'm not putting them down. I, I'd probably do something stupider than that. But they decided that instead of waiting on God's timing, they would take matters on his hands and they have a son named Ishmael. And if you know anything about the world today, some of the greatest struggles are between these two brothers, aren't they? And I heard a guy say years and years ago to me, he said, Cliff, if you want to wait and get God's gift, fine. If you don't, you can have an Ishmael if you want. You want an Ishmael? You, you, you want to you have to deal with the conflict that that's created in lives of people? Because they wouldn't wait. They wouldn't wait. So here's my view that Jesus is saying to us, whose timing are you going to live by? Is your default setting, that it's not inaction, it's not being lazy, it's saying, Father, is this what you want? Is this something for me? Is that, is that my default setting? And there have been times, like I've said to you, I, I don't have an answer. I don't know. I just don't know. And generally, when that occurs, I'm just going to keep waiting. I'm just going to keep trusting and keep looking. I thought about this uh, aspect in a a book. uh, I read part of it, the good parts. Uh, I don't read much fiction. Uh, I tell people because it's not true, okay? 
And there's a few people in here that have trouble with me on that. It's not true. I, why do I want to read something that isn't true? But, on the other hand, to be educated. It's an interesting statement in uh, Henry Mount, Melville's uh, book, uh, Moby Dick. Uh, there's a great statement in there about, uh, and I, I take it as part of this, about learning to wait, learning to wait for God's timing. He says in there, as the ship is being tossed to and fro, frothing about, the sailors uh, working at the oars, there's one person in the boat who sits still, the harpooner. The one who will throw the great harpoon into the whale. And he says, to ensure the greatest efficiency in that dart, the harpooners of this world must start to their feet out of idleness and not toil. In other words, they're not pulling the oars. They're not trying to make the ship go forward. They're waiting, they're sitting, they're waiting, they're sitting, they're waiting, they're sitting until the moment comes that it's time for them to stand up and they stand up from the position of idleness, not toil. What does that say? What I'm thinking is this, is there is a time for us to wait. There is a time for us to understand God's timing and then there's a time for us to stand up. But if you're always standing up, always in a frenzy, always living life by expectations, by circumstance like that, you're worn slick. So what if you did this this week? What if this week you pause on a decision and seek God's will? Here's how I'd encourage you to do that. God's Word, God's Holy Spirit, God's people. In the matter before you, or in the matter before you make a decision. We've got decisions all week to make. What if this week you said, you know what? When I have a decision to make, I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause. And I'm going to ask God through the Holy Spirit or through some of His people, or I'm going to read His Word to say, now what might be the possible answer to this? And again, be prepared. You may not get something direct. And it's funny when my students come to me, they say, uh, you know, uh, you know, we we want to get married, and would you marry us? And you know my response on that, right? I'm already married, and I can't. Yeah. This is one of these areas, and and they and they come to me. And they say, you know, we want to know what God's will is, and I say, well, good luck. And then they're really shocked. I say, well, you know, the Bible was written at a time when your dad decided who you marry. You didn't decide. Paul does give some instructions that the one thing is that they be a believer. That's about it. You know, people that want to make think that the Bible just this big rule book, got every answer for everything, they just haven't read it very carefully. There are times when we have to come to God and say, in the spirit of what this says, help me here. In the spirit of what this says, help me. In the spirit of what the Scripture did, not a specific verse, they're not a specific place, but in the spirit of what this thing says, help me understand what to do and what your timing is. So what about this week? Would you do that? Okay, let's go here. Let's, let's do this. Will you tell the truth? I'm coming to this, Stanton. Notice what he says here. The world can't hate you, verse 7, because, or, or the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify to it that his deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourself, and I do not go to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. 
You know, I'm reading this this week and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, in this conversation with Jesus, he's, he's sort of helping us to understand this, this matter about telling the truth. Notice what he says here. He says, the world can't hate you. Marty said two weeks ago, you know, I believe it was uh, uh, Tozer that said that the reason the world can't hate us is because we're too much like it. Remember that when he, when he said that? Yeah, that the world really can't hate us because we're just too much like it. That was hard. I thought that was harsh. I sent him an email. No, I did. <laughs> Marty stopped doing that. But, but, you know, to tell the truth here, Jesus says the world can't hate you because you're part of it. You make your decisions by it, you, but they hate me because I testify against it. Now, telling the truth, hey, that, that's not the most fun thing to do sometimes, is it? I heard a guy say one time, you know, I, I love baseball. I played it and, and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, I, I was always interested in baseball that, that they had a pinch runner. Did you ever notice that? You know, some big old lumbering guy hits the ball and, you know, he barely makes it to first base and game's tight. So they want to get a pinch runner, right? So I always thought that was amazing in baseball. You get, you know, come on, get the fast guy, bring him over here. The other guy goes off and gets on the base and, you know, he's ready to go. I thought, man, wouldn't it be great to have a pinch runner in life? Right? I thought, you know, I'm at home and Becky's bought a new dress and she goes, honey, how does this look on me? I go, time out, pinch. <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? I need a pinch. Come on, come in, come in, come in the game. Tell, tell her, tell her. I'm not telling her. I'm not telling her. Right? I don't know if he's a pinch runner or he's a pinch hitter. What, somebody come in, you know. Because let's be honest, there are times, it's funny when you say it, let's be honest about honesty. It's tough. It's difficult. Jesus has said, I'm not going up. And then he goes up. Now, you can, you can read this, and if you're interested, I can, I can give you some resources about how some people have taken this to be an outright contradiction. Well, I, you know, I have a, a friend who's an attorney, and he said, Cliff, you don't have to tell everything you know to tell the truth, <laughs> right? You have to tell everything you know to tell the truth, right? Uh, here, this idea of Jesus telling the truth, it says later in verse 10, after they left, he did go up, but he didn't go publicly. He went secret. He, he, didn't, he said, look, I'm not going to respond to your demand. There's, what are they saying to him? Hey, go up. Come on. If you're going to be public, if you're going to be known, you better get up there. He said, no, I'm, I don't live on that timetable. I'll tell you the truth about it, but I don't live on that timetable. I'm not going to respond to what you think ought to be done. Now, it's hard to tell people the truth on that to say back to them. But let me look at this other way. Look at this other way. He said, and because of this, the world hates me because I testify their deeds are evil. Oh, man, I was working through this this week. I, I want to have you think with me here for a second. The word world here, the world cannot hate you, but I, it hates me because I tell The word world obviously means the physical planet and that, that stuff. That, that's, that's common. But in John's gospel, the world is a system that is resistant to the rule of God. The world is a system that is resistant to the rule of God. So he's saying, you, you know, you guys, the world's not going to hate you because you're right in that system. You, you live by that system. You operate by that. But I, I don't, and they hate me for that. 
because I testify that their deeds are evil. It's a fascinating word. But when you study the book of John, can I tell you, in my judgment, when it says, I testify that their deeds are evil, the world here, it can be anything or anyone that is resistant to the rule of God, even religious people. If you study the Gospels carefully, who did Jesus testify were wrong? The religious people. I'm telling you, the more religious you were in Jesus' circle, it looked like you got the harder the hammer. These are people who refuse to come under the rule of God because they've got a job to protect. Or they've got a system that they're a part of. They don't want interrupted. And if you look through the Gospels, it seems to me that what the people that give the greatest resistance, the one that Jesus testifies against time and time and time again, are highly religious people who are not open to the rule of God. Now listen, I've, I've been in church work all my life, or most of my life, most of my conscious life. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've watched this before in myself. I told you I wanted you to read that book. And so, anybody read Accidental Pharisee? Anybody, anybody reading it? I've got a couple of people reading it. All right, the rest of you are going to get more homework. Um, the book Accidental Pharisee, oh my goodness, I... As I've read that and worked through that thought, my goodness, these are some things in me. This, this religious system that I'm a part of or this religious thing that I'm a part of that I resist any breaking in on it like that God might want to do. Jesus says, I testify against it. Now, I, you're going to just get my, my view here on this. When I, when I read that, I, I know what the word there means. It's martyreo. Uh, in Greek, we get the word martyr from. And if, if I'm any, you, you know, you can say, Cliff, you're wrong. That's okay. Uh, if I'm any judge of how this has worked through history, just my view here. But what I think has happened is when Jesus uses the word, he said, I testify of it. In other words, Jesus says, I, I, my life gives evidence to their evilness. My life does. My life, that's what the word martyr means, one who uses their life to testify. When people were martyred, they were called martyreo. That's the same word witness. When they were killed in the, in the Colosseums, they were giving testimony to their faith. Here's what I, I fear with me and with our culture. That we think testifying is talking. We think if we're going to testify to the world about its evil deeds, we're going to call them out. And we're going to tell them where they're wrong, right? We're good at that. It's easier to do that. What I want to suggest to you that Jesus using this word here, intentional means that Jesus is saying, my life is lived in such a way that it calls them out. I was thinking back in church history when Francis Assisi said this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. See, we, we've, we've gone from a life of our lives testifying to our lips and so we can identify error. We can identify where people are wrong. We can identify where people are evil. But they look at our lives and say, does your life, Cliff, back that up? You know, I told you when we moved up here on the north side of town, I realize now when we live north of I-40, I got to start driving better. <laughs> Whew. There weren't a lot of people down the south side. I could drive anywhere I wanted to. 
Once I get south of the Oklahoma ditch there, I drive any way I want to. You know, I mean, we can talk about loving our neighbor and how wonderful it is and what we should do, but it's our life that has to give testimony to that. In Jesus' words and in Jesus' life and in the early church, the early church, if you'll notice, didn't spend a lot of time judging the world. The early church didn't spend a lot of time castigating the Roman Empire. They said, pray for him. We were talking at our table today. Why don't we pray for our president and our government every day? Because we somehow think that if somebody's wrong, we can say you're wrong and then we're dismissed of it. Right? The early church, the, what they did, they lived this life in their life. And by that, they testified to the truth and the evil of that day. I've wondered about my own life. Have I substituted words for life? Have I said, follow me as I follow Christ or watch my life? This matter here is of great importance because we all are educated above our obedience level, aren't we? Don't all of us know more than we're doing? And I've told you, and I mean this, I'm not feigning humility here. I don't know if I know what the word feigning means. I've just heard it used like this. <laughs> that I sound like I know God better than I do. That's a truth. That's the truth. Is are our lives such that we're not having to substitute words for our life? Where people see our life first and say there's something to this. There's something to what you're saying. There's some truth here that is undeniable because it's in shoe leather. My dad used to always say, what are you going to tell the truth? And when I say tell the truth, I don't mean start pointing your finger at other people. I mean tell the truth through your own life. The way you treat people, the way we act, the way we respond, the way we live our lives and our homes with our kids, with our bosses, with our people and our relationships. We've gone long on this idea of talking and shorter on the area of walking. Isn't that true? Isn't it easier to point things out instead of to live our lives and wait? Now notice here too, I think there's an interesting feature here when Jesus says, you know, you need to tell the truth, but I'm not talking about talking about it. I'm talking about living it. Martureo, that, that my life is being lived out that way. Notice this, if you will. The word evil. I've always been fascinated by this. When Jesus said they're, they're deeds, do, do you know what? Just spell the word evil backwards. Sit up there. Evil is the word live spelled backwards. Would it help you and me when we're dealing in life with other people that we think are being evil? If we just understood they're just living life backwards, they're not having any fun. It's not going to work for them. It's not going to be great. It's going to be disastrous. That evil is simply living life backwards. It's, it's not living life as God planned it. It's not living life as if God said, this will bring you life and life more abundant. What if we considered that people are just living backwards and have some compassion on them and say, if this looks you know, uh, attractive, not, not this, but this life. If this looks attractive, I encourage you to join. I encourage you to be a part of it. What if this week, 
What if we just did this? What if this week you sought to be a witness on a, of a specific truth of the gospel in a specific way of living? I'm not talking about thinking, I'm talking about living. What would that action be? If you said, I'm going to live the gospel this week, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to live the gospel in an, in an action, not in a thought, not in a discussion, not in an explanation, but in an action. What would that action be? Practice it. Just this week. I'm not going to say, you know, all the time. Finally, we've got to hurry. How will you know if Jesus' teaching is true? I'm going to hurry here. Look here. Jesus then goes up to the feast, not publicly, but in secret. He's not going because his brothers say it's time to go. He's going because it's the Father's time. So I stand, the way I interpret this is that this is not any contradiction in context of saying, I'm going to go when the Father tells me to go. Not when you guys tell me to go. When the Father tells me to go. So he's saying this. Watch this. Jesus is there. People are watching. And this is a verse that a guy shared a year ago at a meeting I went to that just crashed into my brain like it had in a long time. Look here at 15, but I will say, say this. So Jesus answered and said, My teaching is not of mine, but His who sent me. If anyone is willing to do His will, He will know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak of myself. It's fascinating. Listen, let's quit arguing with people. And let's say this. Try it, I dare you. Try it. Jesus said, if anyone is willing to do the will, he'll know. We're trying to convince people through, nothing wrong with apologetics, nothing wrong. I always thought when I was a kid, though, I'm not apologizing for anybody until I found out what that word actually meant. And then had to go back and apologize. <laughs> I know it's a bad joke. Uh, you know, we spend so much time trying to convince people, and there are some intellectual issues we need to deal with. But Jesus said here, if you'll do it, you'll know it. You'll know it. If you do it, you'll know it. Is that possible that we could say, Jesus, if we'll do the will of God, you'll prove to us, you'll show to us. It's... See, we want to get it proved first, and then we do it. Right? That's our plan. Know it, understand it, figure it all out, and then do it. Jesus said, if you're willing to do His will, you'll know whether the teaching is from God. This friend of mine that told the story, I'll tell you real quick, Jay Paytech out in Denver, his church and them were involved in a carnival about this time of year. And um, he was there. He said, you know, he was making uh, uh, balloon figures, and he said he had a, a balloon hat and a big balloon sword. You know, he looked very intimidating. And he said a couple of women who were lesbians came to him and said, why do you hate us so much? He goes, whoa, hold on here. What, what do you mean? Well, we know you're from the church and you hate us. All Christians hate us. And Jay said, I, you know, hold it, hold it. I don't, I don't hate you. I, I don't hate you. There's, you. You got the wrong story here. Well, they keep talking for a while and and, and, and she said, well, what if I came to your church? He said, you know, come. We'll ask you to just consider the teachings of Jesus. And, and I said, but, you know, there's something. You're hurt, aren't you? So they talked for a while. and I'll hurry here. They talked for a while, and he identified that, that she really had been hurt by people, and there was real unforgiveness in her heart to a lot of people, and especially the people in the church. And so Jay said, where do you work? And she worked at a coffee shop there in the Denver area. And, and he said... Uh, 
let me ask you something. What, what makes you, she goes, well, these Christian people come by the coffee shop and protest and have their, have their signs and say all kinds of things. And she said, they just, they, they just make us so mad and so angry. And he said, why don't you try this? Jesus said, if you'd forgive others, you'd be blessed. So when they come, why don't you take them coffee and scones and go out there? Jay said, she said, you're nuts. You're out of your mind. I'm not doing that. He said, well, you know, Jesus just said it. I'm just, I'm just telling you what he said. And, you know, we should forgive and, and let that go. He, you know, he told the story, you know, the, the great story that, you know, unforgiveness is the, the idea like we're drinking poison hoping somebody else will die. You know, that, that's the whole idea. I, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to drink this poison and hope you die. So they come a few times, and finally she tries it. Jay says she calls him on his phone a few days later and is shouting at the top of her lungs, It works! It works! It works! And he said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? She said, Jay, those people kept coming back, coming back, coming back. I finally decided I was going to do what Jesus said and forgive them. I went out there with coffee and scones. They, they said they were sorry. They said they didn't understand that, what made us feel. He, he said, it works. She started going to his church and became a follower of Jesus. What'd she do? She tried it. Why don't you? Why don't you try it? Why don't we as a people... Try it. Why don't we tell people that we know that aren't followers of Jesus, that, that have all kinds of questions, okay, we'll, we'll work with your questions, but let's, let's, let's try it. If you'll do the will of God, you'll know if His teaching is from God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, this is packed full of information, but it's also for our transformation. It's not just for us to look at and draw circles around think about, have our brains stimulated. All that can be great, but it comes now to the matter of us understanding how we might live our lives. So help us to live with your timing. Help us to tell the truth the way you told it. And help us to do what we know to do. Then we'll know your teaching is from you. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. See you next week.